Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Today we have Omar. He's a former Mormon, head of social for K-Swiss, and a fitness fanatic. Omar, welcome. You are very public about your personal life, and it's so interesting to see how it relates to you being a brand ambassador. I've never seen a brand do that before. I do think that being friends with Barney is one of the biggest factors of me, like just being cool with being myself and working the best way that I know how. Like, I was a fan of the brand before, so it's not like I really changed and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I, I love K-Swiss, now I wear K-Swiss, but I was really living what I thought their messaging was, which was, if you're a go-getter, you just lace up in K-Swiss. And I'm not like a sneakerhead or anything, so I was like, hell yeah, these are dope. And this is pre-Gary V. Like, this had nothing to do with Gary. It just, like, that was a cherry on top that somehow... You know, I've already followed Gary for years, so it was perfect. And so I apply everything to that into my job. Are there parts of your past that you edit? Ah, that's a great question. Depending on when I edit them, right? With like my personal stuff, when interviews like this, no. Like I, I'm an open book. Actually, when I got to K-Swiss, like right before I really started opening up, but before I was at K-Swiss, I was only documenting or trying to share what it's like to leave a safety net and go out into the abyss um, with no connections, no money. Just like if you're good at something, you should ideally be able to do it anywhere you want. So I was only documenting that mentality. When I got to K-Swiss, I realized that there were people that were interested in the transition. Like, wait, how do you go from hustling like you were to now you're head of social for a sneaker brand. And then that's when I realized that people are interested in a different side that I'd never talked about, which is my past. Okay. Now for the listeners who don't know your story, can we delve into your past? Yeah, of course. Tell me about the divorce. I think everyone should have a heartbreak, first of all. So there's power in a heartbreak because you realize how powerful emotions can be. I mean, for me, that was a very important thing. When I, I was married young, right? So part of my past is that I, I used to be Mormon. And that plays a big factor into the whole like divorce thing. I'm, I'm not Mormon anymore. I don't refer to myself as one. If anything, I would consider myself an ex-Mormon. If someone asks me, are you religious? The answer is no. Do I believe in God? The answer is no. There's just that I realized with leaving Mormonism, going through a divorce and X, Y, Z, uh, there's a part of my brain that I just don't care for that in my life. Like, I don't need something to, like, a thought that lets me think that one day things are going to be better. You know, like, this is okay, but one day, you know, there's more out there. I'm like, actually, there's more right here. And if I live my life to the best of my ability, then I'll be able to live a, a happy life and ideally, those uh, values that I hold or that I've 
you know, carried on, ideally should help me have a quote unquote happy life beyond this life. So I was married at 26, I believe. I wasn't like, all right, I'm dating this girl and now we're married like two, three months later, like most Mormons are, because you're taught like a very specific way of thinking. You go on a Mormon uh, missionary journey, you come back, you go to college, get married, start your family, you know, hopefully all before you're 24. Like that is so like, hurry up and get home and do this. And so I do feel that I was a little rushed into my choice. And I think that was partly because of culture, partly because, you know, you're young and you have emotions going. And I used to be 200 pounds. And so when I met this girl, um, I just lost a bunch of weight. So though I was confident, I still had like this fat kid mentality. I don't know if that's like appropriate saying that, but I say that because there's this mentality of like, you're not happy with yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror and that could be really damaging, right? Uh, you start to doubt yourself. And I think that that never really left. And so throughout my marriage, we were married just under three years. Uh, I think it was just, we weren't compatible. We're two super creative people, very passionate about art. And I think that the way that I expressed myself artistically in the future that I wanted to have was very different than hers. Like, I, I don't think that, like I know that. For example, when we were married, some of the arguments or some of the struggles that we would have was my view on education. I don't think that she, for example, is or was an art major. Amazing designer, amazing photographer. That was a thing that she was really good at, but she was going to school for it. Me, I started getting involved with it because I had started a record label and I was DJing and I was throwing events. So the, the aspect of, I just need to shoot photos, create designs, is essentially a form of art that people go to school for, but I'm just figuring this out along the way. You know, like I know I'm the kind of artist that if I see something, something inside me will tell me, yeah, I could do that. And then I'll just figure out how to do it. So that mentality of you don't need school to be successful in this day and age is different than, you know, go to school and get this in case you need it for the future or network or opportunities, which are all valid reasons. But I think that it got to a point where what woman or what partner, I should say, would want to be with someone that they just don't feel confident in their ability of being able to provide for them. I think at the end of the day, we just weren't compatible. That's the honest truth. And maybe the hardest part about the whole entire situation is what she had to go through. I thought from my point of view that I was doing the best that I could with the abilities that I had. And I understood that I have very big shoes to fill and I like, I'm not like a dummy. So I could see where her doubts were coming from. But for me, I'm such a like go-getter. In fact, when we got divorced, I remember telling her like, hey, in, you know, in three years, this is what's gonna happen. And weirdly enough, it pretty much all happened to plan. It'd be awesome if you just let me fucking do my thing. But it, you know, at that point, I think it was just too late, which is again, understandable. It's, it's not like she had heard a different story before. The only difference is when we were married, I wanted to do my thing, but I cared so much about her that I was adjusting how I was doing my life to what would 
accommodate her success as well. So I think everyone has relationship problems. That's just the name of the game. It's communication. I'm a terrible communicator. I feel like I've gotten so much better at it. <laughs> and I really attribute that to my divorce because I go back to as it ended or as everything happened. Um, I think there's three notable things that make me different. And I hope that whoever listens to this will apply it in their life in one way or another. Number one is acknowledging how hard that was for my ex to do. And when I say that is because I was so blinded to how she was feeling, I wouldn't understand it. I was like, what do you mean you're not happy in the marriage? You know, she never really said that, but obviously she had those feelings and she didn't know how to break out of a marriage. So I actually got Dear John. And the story that no one really hears, I'll give you the exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it was so crazy. Like it was my best friend getting married on like that weekend or he was getting married a week before all my shit happened so it was like a saturday these are my high school homies we got together we're gonna do like his bachelor party granted i'm mormon at the time so i'm not drinking i don't do anything like quote unquote bad and i told my ex i was like hey i'm doing this with my friends she's like oh that's so cool that's good for you you have a good time and i was like let me take uh, we had a dog at the time let me take the dog she said no i want to keep the dog with me understandable I went camping that night I had this feeling that something was off and then when I came home the next day to like no one's answering my phone um, I went to an apartment and all I saw was like this letter on the counter and like right when you walked in everything was different like it was so perfectly planned and executed I don't even know how to describe the feeling of like that was heartbreaking to see like your wedding photos completely off the walls, replaced. Your stuff is essentially packed. So you know that within less than 24 hours, because I was just an overnight trip, right? In less than 24 hours, this all happened and she was gone. Like she wasn't even in the same state. She'd uh, flown home. And there was this four page letter of, you know, why this is happening. And I just remember reading, reading, and I was like, this isn't me, you know? Things like you're never going to be successful, you're delusional, you think you're going to do this record label, but you're not, you know, all these things. And, and I, in my mind, when I look at it and think back, I'm like, the truth is she just wasn't happy, understandable. And it's hard to get out of a relationship when you're Mormon, when you're both sides of the family are Mormon and what that is to get divorced and go, it's like, there's so much more to it. It's a mix of stuff, so not to like get way into it, but I remember sitting down reading this, like, Dear John, it was so clear what I needed to do. I had two options. You know, number one was try and like win her back. Like, what do you got to do to win her back to like have, make it work? Like, you have to do that. You have to like bend to her will essentially, right? And then I had this thought of like, but nothing's going to change if you do that. And then there was this other part of me that said, actually, this is bullshit. I remember it's like, this is bullshit. You're not a shitty person. And everything that's written on here, like, you're not. And the only way to prove it is to fucking do it and go this route and never, ever talk to her again. And I just remember being like, yeah, like, I'm going to prove to her. But more importantly, I'm going to prove to myself that everything I've been like, working for in my heart for years now 
2004, like almost five years. It wasn't a waste. It was like, what do you need to make this happen? When a relationship ends, both parties should respect what's going on. I never called her again. Never. I immediately just like, I accepted it. I made up my mind. I didn't call my family. I called two friends, one of them who owned a house. I'm like, hey, something's going on. I need a place to stay. Can I crash at your house? He's like, of course, man. You're always welcome. Check mark. Then my other best friend was like, yo, shit's going down. I'd love to like go for a run. Do you want to go with me? He was just hearing me out and I never cried. I was just like, I just like, I knew it, you know, it's just like, this is the right thing. And as hard as it was, because that other part of you is like broken, I was like, no, this is the right thing. And the second thing I did is I actually called her dad when I moved out and everything. And I called him because as a man, and this is why I called him looking you like straight in the eye, I had to apologize. I promised him that I would take care of his daughter. I promised him that I would be like this provider. And you know, two and a half years isn't a long time, right? But I think as a man, I needed to apologize. Say, hey, that's your baby girl. I never abused her. I never hit her. I never cheated on her. I never did anything that you should never disrespect your partner. And he appreciated that. I needed that, right? If they only know one thing about me, it should be that, hey, you know what? At least he apologized. That's it. And then the third thing, that I do, and I hope everyone will take this advice, is I never talk shit on her, her family, or our relationship. It's pointless. One of the best pieces of advice that her dad gave me when it all happened was, I hope that you guys can be friends one day. Because before you were married, you were friends. And that really stuck with me. I'm like, that's true. When you have a friend, like, your friends are your friends. They're your homies. There's something special that especially when it's someone that becomes your friend and then becomes more. So those, those moments are really special. And I've always reflected back on those moments when I have like a flashback, a, a memory, or I have a, a feeling or whatever it is, or my friends are struggling with their relationships. I have to go back in my mind and, and find like the positive moments that I had with her because she was special to me. She helped me be better. She helped me understand what love meant. But more importantly, she was the reason to the success I have now. If it wasn't for her making that hard choice, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Wow, that's really beautiful. I'm kind of curious to know what her dad said when you apologized. I mean, he was emotional for sure. He cried and said, thank you. In your heart, just like, hey, you know what? It's not going to work out. Like, move on. And that's why I didn't cry. I was just like, okay, this, this is a new chapter. Like, you know who you are. Just fucking go after it. Like, whoever this person is that you can envision, there's only one way to find out, and that's through action. So there was no fog period or mourning period for the relationship? Nothing. I just hit the ground running. Because there's no time to waste when you have an opportunity like that. Fuck. I don't have someone else. For me... There's nothing more satisfying than knowing the people that on the outskirts were involved that I knew talk shit. And to this day, it just shows that when you're honest, when you're focused on like doing what's best for you, that nobody can talk shit on you. If they do, they're jealous. And I think that's what happened because I refuse to talk shit 
and when we were dating and married like I was still DJing like in Salt Lake I was you know a small place or small state or whatever but I was so involved with like the music and art culture there that I think both of us had a reputation and so when something like that happens it's almost like oh shit people will talk shit I just did my thing I went in the shadows worked on me and only came out when it was like time to execute and that's what set me apart from everyone else and I think again that just played a role into no fog period like there's no time to waste so I was engaged to somebody before I got married and he was a Jerry Springer producer he was actually my boss at one point so I was his associate producer and yeah this is a crazy story so anyways we ended up getting engaged and living together and i moved from chicago to los angeles with him but when we moved to la his true colors like really came out like he was really bad with money and he was so much about money and i'm like a small town girl from kentucky and like his dad was the art director for saturday night live and he owned a place in soho and I think oh, yeah. even abroad, and it was just we had such different upbringings. Hey, you, you're, I'm the small town guy. <laughs> she's from San Francisco. Like they're doing okay. So I really relate to what you said about coming home to an empty apartment because for the last year of our three year relationship, I, I wanted out. I just didn't know how to get out, and so I took a job at Nanny Nine One One and worked third shift, and he was working on I think either Chris Angel Mind Freak or Amazing Race or something, but we were working like opposite schedules and our lease was coming up and, you know, he asked me if he should renew or if we should move somewhere. And I was like, God, the amount of fighting that we do, I can't even believe you're like asking me to like move to the next place with you. And one day I came home and literally everything was packed. Like the place was empty. And then I had that see I, I had the fog but like I walked into the apartment everything was empty I mean we had like bought a very nice furniture set I had a ring on my finger it was like gonna happen oh it was gonna happen <laughs> exactly so I had my choice like do I move in with a girlfriend who just went through a breakup and will be there for me and then there's no turning back if you do that or do I try to work things out but I knew I didn't want to marry him and so, yeah, I went and slept on my girlfriend's couch for a month and we worked opposite schedules and she left me like really nice notes in the morning. Like you can do this. And if you go back to him, we're not going to be friends. <laughs> and um, it was the hardest period for me. I was definitely in a fog because I was with him for three years. I didn't know anyone else in LA. He told me, you know, like you're Did never you going to work in this town again type of shit. <laughs> no, of course you would. But I never looked back either. I actually never talked to him after we broke up. Not once. I mean, occasionally I'll like internet stalk him, but I never looked back. I knew he wasn't the one that I wanted to marry. And after we broke up, I didn't date anyone for a year and a half. And I was 26 years old. I had no sex. I lost 30 pounds. I got into yoga. I stopped smoking. I got super healthy. And you know what? I did work in that town again. I worked on Nanny 911 for three seasons. And then I met a much better person. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. You said something interesting. So two things. One is when it happened, you changed your lifestyle to a healthier. We both did the same thing. Because when I saw her to like, actually, here's the divorce papers and all this shit signed. She looked so thin. Like, I was like, holy. And I also, I mean, I'd lost a lot of weight, but it's because 
I already like working out as you can, as you know, but it was something more of like, there was so much anger and all I could do was run and lift weights and just get that anger out through that kind of aspect. And I'm a loner, to be honest with you. As social as I am with like music and how you see me, I am totally fine not talking to anybody and being alone. Okay, so I got to go back to the Mormon thing because honestly, I've only known a few. (laughs) So what is it like to grow up being a Mormon? Uh, That's a straight up conversation for a whole podcast but (laughs) let me put it this way where I grew up Mormon right small town and you'll understand this and you can google Benjamin Utah that's my hometown or Orem Utah which is where right by where Brigham Young University is I don't even want to explain it you grow up and everyone you know is Mormon everyone right like since you're a little little kid and in a weird way just kind of like how racism exists you know that kind of mentality exists within the Mormon culture, especially within the Utah culture and where I grew up, because it's like 98, 99% Mormon. If you're not Mormon, people know, and you're automatically labeled as either a bad Mormon or a quote unquote non-member. So they treat you different because you're not a member. You don't hold the same standards or they just treat you different. But fast forward, I realized in eighth grade that in order to survive this Mormon culture, you have to fit in. You have to, you have to really buy into the religion. I, di- I didn't know this, but I realized that like, wait, so my parents will treat me different and my teachers will treat me dr- different if I'm a good Mormon boy, right? Which is good on the outside, terrible for the mind and on the inside. And so you, you grow up, the only way you could be cool and popular is if you were a really good Mormon. If you did, like that really is the thing. If you weren't, a really good Mormon and quote-unquote popular dressed a certain way. You were a redneck, a stoner. You weren't like, you were labeled, which is a bad thing. And then when you do anything remotely bad, let's say like look at porn, this is a weird shady thing that the Mormon people do is you have to confess to your bishop one-on-one, like in a private room. I don't agree with that because you're talking to someone that isn't qualified to talk to you about sexual things. I'm a male, which is fine. But what if it was my sister? You know, I don't, those are weird things that no one in the Mormon church talks about. They just put all their faith in, hey, he's a good guy. But the more research you do, you're like, well, there's a lot of these good guys that are pedophiles or doing other shit. And that's really damaging also to young people because you're not educating them on what their feelings are. You're just saying, hey, you need to stop sinning and that brings shame on your family. So growing up in the Mormon church, and again, where I did, I'm already trying to be like battle being cool because I'm Mexican. I'm not white. I've been treated differently. You know, I had a gun pulled on me by a cop at 15. That's how different I've been treated, right? In Utah. Like I remember my friend getting pulled over and the cop's like, oh, you're this person. You play baseball, huh? Oh man, just just win this for us. You're good to go. I'm like, what the fuck? And that's fucked up. That's small town. That's Mormon shit. And then again, you grow up and then it's like your whole life you've been taught. You have to go on this Mormon mission. You have to do. And so now I'm like 18, fresh out of college. I've already like, I'm so sick of school. I'm so sick of this life. Now I have to go do this thing for two years and I go and do it. And I learned Spanish and it was a good experience but at the, at the time, I didn't realize how brainwashing it was, right? It's just such bullshit. 
And like no one ever grows up being taught the real history of the church. You're just kind of fed the quote unquote good stuff and just go to church and all this shit and never question really if it's real. Because if you question it, you're like, why are you questioning this? You're questioning God? That later came around to bite me in my relationship because I remember telling my ex-wife, like, I don't know if I believe this. She's like, what do you mean you don't believe this? And I'm like, I just don't think it's real. <laughs> and so that played a role into like the breakup. And then that led a role into me knowing like, I can't be a part of it. It's like, it's brainwashed my whole life. My neighbors, everyone I know is Mormon. If I'm not Mormon, I'm going to be treated a certain way. If I leave the church, my family's going to treat me a different way, which they do. And I was just like, fuck it. It's my life. Was it comforting as a kid to have the belief? Of course, right? Like, it's comforting to have a, a family scenario. That's good, right? Here's a good way of putting it. Whenever anyone meets a real, like, quote-unquote Mormon family, they always have, like, the same thing to say about them. They're a little weird, but they're, like, the nicest people ever. And their families are perfect. And true. But they're so fucked up mentally. These are facts that whoever listens, Google check, fact check. Highest divorce rate in America, Utah. Highest drug overuse of opiates because of depression, Utah. Highest porn rating, watched or whatever, and downloaded, Utah. Like these are like gnarly statistics, and it's due to the way that Mormons are brought up in the community that they're brought up. And then, like, when you can't, when there's so much judgment and pressure as a young kid, like baby tiny kid to adulthood, it messes with you. Okay, so I'm honestly going to tell you that I have found the same in the Jewish community. I grew up a Jew in Kentucky and didn't feel like I fit in with white or black people there until I went to a youth performing arts school. And then I was like, oh, my creative people. You know, <laughs> then it was just like, oh, you can sing. So you're cool, right? But so I moved to Chicago and wanted to give my kids a Jewish education that, you know, because there wasn't a Jewish school anymore, even in Kentucky, which after LA, my husband ended up getting a job in my hometown, which is really crazy. And I thought it would be good for my kids to grow up with grandparents and great grandparents. But I never liked being Jewish there. So I don't know why I tried to do that to my kids. So then we moved to Chicago, which has a big Jewish community. And I send my kids to Orthodox Jewish school, which look, you know, me and my husband aren't praying all the time and we go to synagogue on the weekend and then my kid's in fifth grade and he's noticing all kinds of hypocrisy and he's like, I don't want to pray. And I was like, shit, I don't pray. Why am I trying to fit my kid into this box, right? So after having my kids in an Orthodox Jewish school from three years of age until fifth grade, I'm now like yanking my kids out of a school and sending them to like a more progressive school with Jews from all walks of life. And now none of their friends from the old school, like, you know, want to be our friends anymore, want to care about us. I mean, I am going through a major like, I'm like, first I didn't fit in with non-Jews and I don't even fit in with my own damn people. But there's so much judgment, like what you're talking about. And I want to shed light on it. I mean, there's so many problems that are pervasive in so many different communities and it's bullshit not to talk about it. Yeah. The reason why I think it's bullshit is because, and this is what I tell my parents, you guys held me so accountable and the church held me. Did you pay your tithing? Are you like 
all the things, no coffee, no smoking, no drinking, no premarital sex, no, like every little fucking thing, no porn, no, like, which probably shouldn't do that, but so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like tell that to a fucking 15 year old, hey, don't, those feelings that you have, suppress them, you know? And the Mormon church is more intense about it than most Christian churches, because you get shunned pretty bad, not just you, but your family. And so I'm like, because it is bullshit and there is so much accountability, I want that same accountability for the church and my parents. So when I'm bringing shit up, I'm like, yeah, that's because for X amount of time, I was held very accountable emotionally. And now I want to bring it back to you guys. And like, you can't sweep anything under the rug. Give me some fucking answers. And they can't. That's why I think it's bullshit. You know, here's something I've never shared with anyone to let you know how much I believe in the, the Mormon church. I remember when I came home from being a missionary, the whole premise of the, the Mormon church is that in like the early 1800s, Jesus Christ and God the Father appeared to this kid. I'm like, hey, you know, they've changed it now, but hey, you're going to be like a new prophet. And the evidence of you being a prophet is this book called the Book of Mormon which you're going to translate and then you're going to rebuild the church, blah, 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 blah. So like, that's the premise of it. So as a missionary, that's the, the first thing and the most important thing you teach. It's like, hey, yes, there's all these other religions, but only one is right and Jesus and God. And so I remember when I was asked by like my leader, he's like, if you could ask God for one gift right now because you've done missionary service for two years what would it be and i and i said to witness the first vision that's what i want to see what the fuck happened that day and he said would it change your belief if you if you didn't grant you that wish and i thought about it and i said no because i was so like this is real that i don't need to test god that's how much i believe where i thought about it i was like i just didn't even think about it after that. I was like, actually, no, I'm that I was that brainwashed. Like, no, I can't even think. Why would I even ask that? Do you still have friends from the community? That's a great question. Yes and no. The majority of the people that I know are still in Utah. Like, that's where I, I lived there 29 years of my life. I'm 34 now. So really, this is the most important thing, I guess, is from the divorce to now, my life, literally changed it took just getting out of that whole entire situation so that's why i can look back and be like damn there's a lot of like they hold you back you don't realize it but if you can change your life that drastically in such a short amount of time it says a lot about it and so yes i do have a lot of friends that are still in utah and they're mormon all the people i went to high school with right for the most part most of my family some of them are still like Ah, teetering. I've realized that all the Mormon people, friends that I have, when I post anything about it, when I find something that I'm like, holy shit, like, yeah, I want to share this. Um, and I do, people don't like that. Because whenever an ex-Mormon puts something out there, the community, especially the people that know you, they're like, I can't believe you would do that. You know, like, why would you attack a church? You used to be like this. You used to believe or I remember when you had a testimony in Jesus Christ. I'm like, fuck off. And then my core, core, core friends have all left the church, which is funny. Do you think it's part of your purpose to help other people that want to leave? 
Yes, the bridge, absolutely. Because, well, now it's easier to find data, all the things. There's a bunch of Mormons that have left the church and they'll be really like vocal about it. I'm not that kind of person, right? Like I'll be vocal to a certain extent or I'll call shit out when the Black Lives Matter movement started. I'm like, hey, are you guys going to finally talk about how the Mormon church is racist? Oh, no, no, no. Like, well, it's true. So you better talk about it. I am vocal about it when I need to be. But most importantly, and this is advice I got from one of my best friends, live your best life because that's going to piss people off. You're taught that if you leave the church, your life will be so shitty and miserable that you will come essentially crawling back because the spirit of God has left you and you're, you know, the shittiest person ever. So why if you become super successful and you're happier than you've ever been, like that makes no sense, right? And so that's how I'm vocal about it is I'm extremely positive even when it's hard to be positive or why I wake up at 5 a.m. and run, that's not easy. But I do that because there are tons of people watching that I think mentally that will help them in one way or another, and I'm okay with that. Now I wanna know about your K-Swiss chapter. From the beginning, 2015, I started it when they did a collaboration with Diplo, and I was making music, doing my record label, they had this open competition called The Board. They picked 100 creatives around the world to like essentially rebrand K-Swiss into this young entrepreneur thing. Luckily, I was chosen. <laughs> and it was a great like experience for me to know that, holy shit, I can collaborate with like big brands? That opened up that thought. Fast forward when everything, you know, life is moving on. I kept in contact with k-swiss as much as i could and then when the email started going cold i noticed occasionally barney would like like one of my photos or i i don't truthfully i don't know how barney's and i relationship really like started happening it started happening right and i kept in contact with him for the listeners barney is the ceo of k-swiss and by this time i'm a big k-swiss or k-swiss fan but a gary v fan like i've been following gary v and so by luck, in like 2017, I visit Barney and he shows me the first prototypes of the Gary Vee shoes. And he's like, what do you think of this? And I lost my mind because I was like, wait, you're doing a collab with Gary? He goes, yeah, we're going to make a sneaker for an entrepreneur. What do you think? I'm like, these are going to sell out. And he goes, really? I'm like, yeah, do you know who Gary is? He goes, well, yeah. And he's got like 500 followers, 500,000 followers at the time. He's like, oh. You know, he was surprised at how energetic I was. So I think our relationship kept growing. And then the original announcement for Gary and the case was like collaboration. I was still living in Utah at the time, but I knew it was happening. I actually called, went to work, said, oh, I'm sick. I need to leave. Like, okay, you can go home. I went to the airport, dropped my car off there. I flew to L.A., I had a friend pick me up and we waited in line at Shoe Palace for hours just so I could meet Gary. I had to buy shoes, totally fine, right? To meet Gary. And because I knew of the collaboration, I had, like, I wanted to pitch the music for the campaign. So I had it produced. I had it ready. I'm just like, look, I'm, I know I'm only going to get 10 seconds with Gary, but I can just like, hey. And he knew who I was. That's the craziest fucking thing that blew my mind because... 
when it was my turn to see him when I got on, you know, whatever, he's like, hey, Omar from Utah, right? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it's like he's got that relationship with people. And there was a K-Swiss guy recording, Patrick Buchanan, who doesn't work with us anymore, but he was doing the live and Barney just so happened to be watching the live from London. So he saw me meet Gary 2017. He messaged me. He's like, yo, that was so cool to see you meet Gary. I'm on cloud nine. The experience was amazing. Nothing happens. Fast forward another year-ish. And the relationship just got building. And so I made another trip to LA. And this time Barney was like, hey, I have an extra ticket for this event that Gary's going to be at. Do you want to come with me? Like, of course. That conversation with Barney led to me being interviewed with K-Swiss the very next day, which led to the opportunity that I had. And I ended up flying right to, I canceled my Denver trip and I flew right to Seattle and just started packing my shit. And two years ago, July 10th was my first day at K-Swiss. And I honestly attribute 100% to relationships, to just keeping them, giving value. Like I always wore K-Swiss, I always took photos, and I was just doing what I thought the brand mission was and living it for myself. I want people, when they engage with K-Swiss, I want them to feel like, holy shit, this brand cares about me, or they're reposting my stuff, or they're actually talking to me. That's the most important part of my job that I love. And I do that because Barney gave me a shot and other people have given me shots and I feel I should do the same. Amazing. I've never seen another brand like that. Have you? I think some of them, but not to like the extent to, to where like I know you and a bunch of other people's names. Why don't you think brands do that? They just don't have the time or? Yeah, we're such a small team. We're such a small company that most people will have like maybe a group of five to 10 people to do what I do. And then a group of maybe like 10 to 20 to do what our team does. And I'm the only guy that's responding and posting and doing everything for and all things social. And then, you know, in the marketing team, we're all wearing many hats, you know, photography or retouching or design. And uh, we all like kind of pitch in, but it's not, And I think that's what makes it easier for us to have these conversations with people and it won't last too long. So my thought is keep building this community because these people will eventually help you really continue this philosophy. Can you talk about some of the people that you've partnered with and people that will help you continue this philosophy? They're people that I still think that they're on the come up, to be honest with you. For example, this guy named Jazzer Antig, he goes by Hella Bay. (laughs) He is someone that he just shoots photos and videos without any question every single time. And his photos and video skills are getting better. And he, like me, bought into K-Swiss and he only wears K-Swiss. That's even on his bio. And now he's shooting stuff for tennis and pickleball. Like you believe in people and in their skills and they grow. Well, guess what? He's also a really popular photographer in Utah and has a lot of other people that he's brought on board to help. And then you start believing in those people. And then, you know, so you have like Jazzer, you have this girl named Princess Kehlani. I'm sure you've seen, maybe she's reposted you or something. Her boyfriend, Brandon, Mike Harper, like Jesse Poole, just people from all over that. They're just doing their thing. 
and they're loving K-Swiss and that goes a long way because you work with too many influencers that are amazing and beautiful people and they have the following but they don't care about the brand much more than that and you can see in other individuals that to them the brand is part of their lifestyle that's the difference and those are the people that I love putting on as much as I can um, for as long as I can if you don't treat the people that you work with with that like level of respect and love I think you're just missing opportunity to level up at work you know it's weird case was is changing I will say this it's growing you know I'm seeing how the the connections that I used to be able to have with people are going to be lower or less and less and less which is great for me it's hard because change is always hard I just can't be friends with everybody as much as I want to I mean which that's a lie because Gary's friends with like everybody and he's got like eight million people following him you know what that I've noticed about Gary like during his lives he goes through all those people and he knows so many people that have been following him religiously he calls them out he does still I feel like make friends never met him before I have I met him at generation now in Toronto that's where I met Barney too oh really there's something special about Gary that I've never met in anyone else, which is the ability to really, really remember people. Like, that's a superpower. Well, Rena, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, for reals, for letting me chat your ear off. Yeah, and I hope that whoever listens to it does get something from it. I, I really, really, really believe, and you hear me say it all the time, that everyone has something special to offer, that everyone has someone else looking up to them in one way or another. And that should motivate you enough to be your best. You motivate me to want to be my best. And thank you so much for saying yes to this. <laughs> of course. Oh boy, let's go to grandpa. What a very interesting interview with Omar. How revealing he was and how revealing you were. It goes to show, again, what your show stands for is where someone can really uh, be real and be able to express themselves openly of truly how they feel about their lives and their experiences. I think a person really has to find a way of being able to freely express themselves and be able to live with themselves on what they're going to do with their lives, where they figure it out on their own without interference or excessive criticism of others. We all want to be able to have that freedom of choice to be able to make our own decisions and live our own lives and find what's really most comfortable to ourselves. And Omar, who then even admitted that he's not even sure if he believes in God anymore, and yet the principles and the experiences that he, he lives through, he does want to be loyal, as he is to Swiss, their brand, and, uh, and to loyalty to Barney. And he wants to be able to show that he can do the best that he can. He also wants to show that he is able to develop his own passions and exceed at them. So these are all wonderful qualities of living your life. And the guidelines were maybe set by his family. Maybe they were set by the church, but he wanted to be able to do it his own way. So he's taking the best out of some of these experiences. And yet other people, as he's related, 
when they're under this restrictive behavior. Uh, they could still be pedophiles. They could still be alcoholics and drug addicts. And when you have arranged marriages and you don't have real compatibility and where people can learn to really grow up with each other, guess what? You can grow apart or be held back from really realizing who you want to be. The Better Call Daddy Show is now proudly sponsored by Sadie Simper Designs. Listen, I had Sadie make some custom animated gifts for this podcast, and they were fantastic. Animated gifts are a great way to make Instagram stories more interesting, and they can also be used in place of your logo to make your emails more dynamic. Sadie creates custom branding. She doesn't just take a logo based off of nothing. She helps you take time to build your brand's identity and she creates a brand suite that is truly tailored to you. Have you seen my Megawatts Productions logo? She made that. Visit sadiesimperdesigns.com to see portfolio and brand packages. For 20% off your custom gift or brand suite, email sadiesimperdesigns at gmail.com and use the subject line, call daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.